listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Those of you that are watching the replay, I'm glad you're on. Do me a favor and um, take a minute to share this with somebody because, I mean, if you're a Christian watching this, you might you might not be. But if you are a Christian watching this, you'll understand that um, Bible prophecy is already coming to pass and, of course, has come to pass for the last however many thousands of years. But we're talking about end times Bible prophecy, things that Jesus and the apostles said would happen uh, at the end of time are actually happening right now, taking place. And um, I'm going to go through a checklist today with you that will help you um, not to just see what was prophesied would come to pass, but also uh, it's a checklist for you so that the things that are prophesied that are obviously negative things. We're going to cover uh, negative things that Jesus said would happen and that the apostles said would happen um, would not uh, come to pass in your life. So obviously, Bible prophecy uh, can serve as a warning, right? And then you have to understand that we taught this the other day that Paul, when he was dealing with prophecy, with the Corinthian church. Good morning, Lisa. Uh, Paul, when dealing with prophecy uh, with the Corinthian church, said this, prophecy, when it takes place, it should edify you. It should uh, comfort you. It should be able to uh, teach you. Good morning, Bama guy. And so uh, one thing that we understand, good morning, Erica, that you know, prophecy should edify us. It should build us up. It shouldn't, you know, if we're if we're Christians, <laughs> prophecy shouldn't freak us out. You know, the purpose of prophecy is not to scare you half to death. And I feel like when people uh, are listening to prophecies, especially these things that we're seeing on Facebook and, you know, especially all of last year, we had all kinds of Facebook prophets. But if it's true Bible prophecy, it's not... Um, supposed to freak you out. It's not supposed to scare you half to death as a Christian. It's actually supposed to comfort you. Morning, Mary Beth. It's supposed to comfort you. It's supposed to edify you. That's the whole point. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In fact, uh, while we're thinking about that, let's actually take a look at that verse because uh, this will help you. Because when I give you this checklist, I don't want it. It's not supposed to be something that's like, oh, my God, freaking you out. This is something that should encourage you. But listen to this now. I'm uh, I'm reading in 1 Corinthians 14. And as people are logging on, uh, make sure you share this broadcast today. Um, 1 Corinthians 14. And um, I'm going to start reading in verse number three. Hey, Liz. The Bible says, um, but one who prophesies speaks to people 
for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their consolation. Catch that. Their strengthening, their encouragement, and their consolation. That consolation is, hey, Kristen, that consolation means uh, comforting. When somebody consoles you, they're comforting you. And so, <laughs> contrary to what most people think about Bible prophecy or prophecies that go forward, uh, you know, they're not supposed to freak you out. They're not supposed to scare you. According to Paul, they're supposed to um, build you up, strengthen you, encourage you, and comfort you. And uh, so the, the key being, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Bama guy. He said, I have a hard time with uh, people that call themselves prophets and they make predictions with day, month, time, year. And uh, when it comes around, nothing takes place. Well, you know, that's a false prophecy because if they gave a, a deadline to it and it didn't come to pass, that's false prophecy. Um, but notice this, and I think it's important that we notice it. Paul said that prophecy serves a purpose of edifying you, encouraging you, building you up, comforting you. And so I'm going to read you from three, read to you from three different passages in scripture today. And hey, Gene, and I'm going to show you three areas of scripture, one from Jesus and two from the apostle Paul that said would definitely happen in the last days. And we're seeing it happen right now. And um, how we should um, respond, you know, because when there is a word from the Lord, see, that's the thing we need to realize. And those of you that are on with me live, I want you to put this in the comments uh, today. And in fact, I didn't even do what I told you to do and share my own broadcast, but I'm sure I should. Um, but I want you to do this, put it in the comments. Um, when I receive prophecy, I should respond. When I receive prophecy, I should respond. You know, that's an important thing. Good morning, Zach. Hey, Alicia, Deborah. Put that in the comments there. If I receive a prophecy, I should respond. And there's no question about that. It doesn't just come so you can hear it and say, well, that was good. Amen. You know, he knows the future. No, when I receive prophecy, I should respond. And that's what we're doing today. And that's why I wanted to do this checklist with you. And if you're just logging on, I'm dealing with your personal end time checklist. Because if we read these things in the Bible and know they're going to come to pass, and by the way, isn't it interesting that prophecy is one of the elements that proves how supernatural the Bible is? I mean, the Bible has been so accurate, never missed a beat uh, prophesying and predicting the future. I mean, you could look back, I could do a whole broadcast just on messianic prophecy, the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and how he fulfilled every single one, didn't miss one, many of them in the final hours of his life. I mean, it was supernatural. And um, the Bible is like history written ahead of time. It's a supernatural thing because it came from the mouth of God. So uh, it, it proves to you that the Bible is a supernatural book given to us by the Holy Spirit, as uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, breathed out of the mouth of God. Well, when we read these passages that we're going to read, um, you're going to see 
that these are prophecies about the end times, which we are living in. And by the way, um, according to the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, uh, that day of Pentecost started the last days. So if you didn't know and you don't understand uh, or have never heard taught the prophetic timeline of God, uh, the last days, you hear people, are we in the last days? We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. The last days began on the day of Pentecost because uh, Peter stood up as the believers were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, men and women. And uh, he stood up and quoted the prophet Joel from chapter two. What we have now is chapter two. And what did Peter say? This, what's happening right now, this is that, that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That was a prophecy about the day of Pentecost, which was to come, where people could receive the Holy Spirit into their bodies as a permanent residency, rather than like it was in the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit would just come upon people and then lift off, come upon, lift off, because their bodies weren't ready to receive the Holy Spirit. But after salvation, after the resurrection, we could receive the Holy Spirit in permanent residency. And Peter jumped up and he said, this is that, that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Well, the fact that God poured his spirit out on all flesh on the day of Pentecost was a sign that we've entered into the last days as the prophet Joel prophesied. And so we're living in the last days. And since we are, I'm gonna take you to several of these passages uh, in the New Testament. And I'm gonna show you things that are prophesied for the end of time and how we see it already coming to pass. And then most importantly, as it's a checklist, what we can do personally as believers to avoid every one uh, of these things that were prophesied would happen among people. I don't want it happening in my life. You don't want it happening in your life. Uh, and so we're going to deal with it. Good morning, Susan. Good to see everybody that's on. Hey, what's up, Leslie, Mike, Tiara, Alicia, Jackie Blake. Glad to see everybody jumping on. I know I'm flip-flopping this week, going back from Instagram. Now I'm on YouTube, so I'm sure people are confused as to where to find me. But um, share it. Hey, Lisa, I'm going to start very first uh, area of the checklist, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be the first area that we look um, to see what Paul prophesied, what happened with people in the final hours of time. Good morning, Diane. So let me read you five verses from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then we're going to cover these, and we're going to answer what's our checklist. What should we do to avoid what Paul said would happen in the final days, final hours of time. Good morning, Nicole. Uh, number one, let's read 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll talk about it. Here's what the Bible says. Paul wrote to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Verse two, for people will be lovers of themselves, that's now, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, 
abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then it gives a command, avoid these kinds of people. I'm glad you're on live too. Great to have you, Rebecca. And so uh, Paul was so serious about this with Timothy. He said, when you see these traits in somebody, avoid these people. Now I did a broadcast about uh, something like this recently. It was not this, what I'm giving you today, but I cover all of these in depth. So if you want me to go back and cover all of these things Paul said in depth, just go watch that other broadcast and you'll catch all that. And you can go back just a couple of weeks, you'll see it. But you see this, and if you if you are combining all these things in, the, in this passage into kind of one lump sum, you say, what can I do so that on my checklist, and I do want you to make a checklist, by the way, because I'm going to give you things on all of these passages, and I want you to keep it. If you've got to keep it in your Bible, keep it in your Bible, but make a checklist. And what it, what it becomes, and you know that I talk about this a lot on broadcast, it becomes a mirror for you. It becomes a way to be introspective about your own life. You'll never, and trust me when I tell you this, you'll never be successful in the kingdom without introspection. Looking inside, comparing yourself to the word of God. You cannot be successful. In fact, I want you to put this in the comments. I cannot be successful in the kingdom without comparing myself to the word of God. You gotta put it in. I cannot be successful in the kingdom without comparing myself to the word of God. And that's what introspection, spiritual introspection is. It's making sure that you're examining yourself on a constant basis. Examine yourself. That's why the Bible says, if you'll judge yourself, you'll not be judged. If you will judge yourself, you'll not be judged. And so the key becomes introspection comparing yourself to what the word of God says. Well, here's a perfect passage in the New Testament where you can compare your life to what the uh, apostle said would come to pass, would happen. This would be uh, literally common among people in the last days. So what do you do? You look at it and you compare yourself and you say, well, if, people's are people, if people are lovers of themselves, am I somebody that's just, I love myself, I'm selfish. I put myself above everybody else. I put myself above the house of God. You do that through the whole thing. And do I, you know, am I in love with money? Would I rather work on Sunday and get that overtime pay than I would go and be faithful to a church and attend church services and be dedicated to the kingdom in that way? You have to be introspective like that. Well, when you look through these and you see that the basis of many of these is pride and arrogance. Uh, in this passage, what's the answer? If we're making our own checklist, what is the answer in this passage? Well, I'm gonna give you three three things to put on your checklist from this passage of 2 Timothy chapter three that I believe would uh, handle all of these so that you never become this person. And listen, here's the thing. Paul's not talking about sinners, and that's important to know. 
Paul's not talking about sinners in this passage. Notice that he's teaching Timothy that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, that there are going to be believers that start exhibiting these traits. It's going to be believers. It's not. Sinners are already doing this stuff. See, and the way you know this is true is because when you get to verse 5, what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, these people will have an appearance of godliness, but they'll deny God's power. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Lynn So this is how you know, by the way, that this is talking about people that are believers, not sinners. Because how do I know? Well, sinners don't have a form of godliness. <laughs> sinners aren't you know, trying to know the doctrine of God. They're not trying to faithfully attend church. They're not lifting their hands and worshiping with everybody else. They're not doing, they're not, they're not having a form of godliness. Sinners aren't doing that. So this is a passage where Paul's teaching Timothy about Christians. And he says, be careful. This is a warning. Be careful about this, that you don't become this way and that those that you're ministering to don't become this way. Because this is going to, and this is how serious it is. He said, when you see these traits in somebody, avoid them completely. I want you to put that in the comments. Avoid them completely. See, there's something where that freaks people out, especially in, in, in right now, you know, with all of the, the grace teaching and everything that we have, that verse right there freaks people out. Because like, that doesn't seem like you're walking in love. That doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like grace. <laughs> that doesn't, and Paul, hey Faith, Paul gave that instruction. And by the way, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. Paul didn't just decide to write this. According to Peter, all scripture is something that was not only inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit carried men along and gave them the words to write. So it's not like Paul was just in a bad mood one day. He was like, let me tell you something. You see these jerks starting to get, no. He was led by the Holy Spirit. This scripture, as all scripture is, is inspired by God. And it's the, in reality, if you go to the source, it's the Holy Spirit that was telling Timothy. When you see people exhibiting these traits, avoid these people. Why? Because bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. So what do we do? Avoid them completely. Avoid them completely. People that are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, you know, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, all the things he lists in these five verses avoid them completely, right? So what are we going to do? What do we put on our checklist from this passage to ensure that we never become these people? I don't ever want to be that person. You don't either. So what do we put on the checklist? Well, number one, number one, and I think that this has to be uh, number one, is humility. Put that on your checklist at the top of the checklist, Number one is humility. You know, this, I can't overstate how important humility is. I can't overstate it. Why? It's so vital that the Bible says God 
opposes the proud, but he gives more grace, more favor to who? The humble. God opposes. The moment you step out of humility, the moment you step out of meekness, you put yourself in position to be opposed by God. Think about that. Think about that. Don't stop going to church, Rebecca. You need to go to church. The Bible commands us to gather at church, Hebrews 10, 25. So if you got to move to find a church, but you, you need to be in a church because it's commanded in scripture. But notice this, humility puts us in position to receive the favor of God, his help, his assistance. We need the favor of God. We need the help of God. And if we, now, now let me break this down too, because if you have humility in your life, then introspection will never be hard. You know who that's hard for? Proud people. Introspection is very difficult for proud people because they, they always have the mindset, nothing's wrong with me. If anything's wrong, it's wrong with them. You know, I'm sure you've been around people like that. If there's anything wrong, it's wrong with them. It ain't wrong with me. I got no problem. You know, and that's, that's what happens. That's pride. Oh, everything's perfect with you. Is that what it is? There's nothing wrong in your life, nothing that could be improved, nothing that could be fixed. If Jesus came and uh, stood in front of you today, he'd say, wow, you're just as perfect as I am. There's nothing, nothing in your life that needs to be compared to the word of God, right? Nothing in your life that needs to be compared to the word? No, there is. In all of our lives, there are things that need to be compared to the word. And so... Uh, humility's got to be at the top of the list. And Shelley's put the verse in James 4, 6, because that's where the Bible says God opposes the proud and he gives more grace, more favor to the humble. And the thing is, if you're humble, you'll have no problem comparing your life to the standard of scripture and saying, where, Lord, do I need to change? Where do I need to alter my life to mirror your commands? Where do I need to take steps of faith so that I know my life is pleasing to you, right? And it takes humility to do that. I mean, no question it does because it's the acknowledgement that not everything's where it should be. And that's all right to acknowledge that. Doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that you're working hard. You know, did you know... You talk about, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. I believe Christians are perfect. Okay, well, then why did Paul every single day say he had to work, actively work, to make sure that his flesh was subdued? If he was so perfect that he never even needed to think about it, then why in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, did the apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, why did he say, I've got to discipline my body on a daily basis and make it do what it should. Love you, Lisa. Make it do what it should so that after having preached to others, I will not become a castaway or a reprobate or become disqualified, one translation says. And so humility keeps us in the place where we can say, you know what? I check up on myself daily and say, hey, is my life in a place 
where it's pleasing to God? Are there any aspects of my life that need to change to mirror God's word and to please him with my actions? So I think if we start with that on the checklist, that's going to cover a lot of these things in this first list. Number two is, uh, and write write it down, is self-control, which I've dealt with uh, at length. Self-control is not something that we just do by ourselves. Self-control is not just, see, because you start preaching on stuff like self-control and you get the ultra supernatural people that are like, oh, you're just preaching self-help. No, it's not self-help because as the Bible teaches, nobody without the help of the spirit can truly be self-controlled. Nobody can. In fact, the Bible says in the book of James again, that the tongue is an unruly evil that no man can tame. So you try in your flesh as hard as you want to tame your tongue, and the Bible says you can't. It's an unruly evil, not able to be tamed by men. But self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if you have the Holy Spirit helping you, then you're going to be able to walk in self-control because it's the Spirit's power who's equipping you to walk in self-control. Well, you look at some of these things on the list, and it would take full self-control to stay, to stay clear of these things Paul's warning about, right? Uh, unholy. Well, in order to be holy, you got to have self-control. Uh, slanderous. Well, you won't slander others if you're self-controlled. Now, one of them, without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. That means disloyal. Uh, reckless. Conceited. Takes self-control. And that's a supernatural trait. And I believe it's the most important fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's it's very important. And so um, Chris asks a question that's not uh, really on topic, but I'll answer it. Why does God let innocent people go to prison? Uh, what does God do about corrupt politicians and cops? <laughs> Try to stay on topic, but uh, recognize that the world is run by men and men are corrupt. And so because corrupt men run things, corrupt things happen. That's the short answer. Because corrupt men run things, corrupt things happen. Um, so so self-control is vital. If you don't have that, you're going to miss every other thing in the kingdom. That's what Paul was really teaching. He was teaching that if I don't control myself, if I don't control myself, I will lose out on everything God said was for me. That's why he said, I don't, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not beating the air. I'm actually pressing toward the mark. I'm running that I may obtain my promise. He want, he was fighting for a goal. He was, he was looking for uh, a prize, he said. And in order to do that, we discipline ourselves to get that prize, which is heaven. We discipline ourselves to get that prize. And so we've got to do it. And so self-control would be the second thing I'd put on the list. The third thing from this passage, the third and final thing from this section of scripture I would put on is gratefulness, thankfulness. Put that in. Put that in as number three on your checklist. Gratefulness slash thankfulness. It'll keep you from a majority of these things. Uh, let me cover a few of them uh, that will help you. There's one of the things that irritates me more than anything else, especially in North America, is seeing ungrateful, unthankful people 
when, when we're sitting here in all of the blessings that we've been afforded, uh, as people forget about that live in America, that live in 2021. I mean, do you realize how wonderful it is to live in 2021 versus 1600? I mean, versus 1411. Do you know how wonderful it is to live in 2021 where anything and everything is at your fingertips, where people aren't uh, dying of plagues around the world that, I mean, like they were back then that no one had an answer for? You know, you realize how wonderful it is to have a civilization. I mean, like, I don't think people realize in light of history how wonderful it is just to live in 2021. Uh, but on top of that, in this area, we're living in so much blessing, an abundance of blessing. And you got people that are unhappy. You got people that are ungrateful. You got people that aren't content. They can't be appeased. And that's not, that's a sign of the end times, by the way. And the Bible says so right here in this passage. Let me read it. What will gratefulness solve for us on this checklist? We'll look at it. Lovers of money. People are always out. These people that are lovers of money, I got to find a way to get more money. They serve money. That's what really happens, and the Bible teaches that. You can't serve God and money. The Bible's clear on that. You can't serve God and money. And these people that are lovers of money, that's why they don't come to church on Sunday. They'd rather get extra hours and get you know overtime. They'd rather make more money. I knew people like this. They'd rather make more money than they would honor the house of God. And so... What helps with that? Thankfulness and gratefulness. Contentment. Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain. Always wanting more. Always got to have. I got to have. And there's nothing wrong with believing in increase. We believe in that. I confess it all the time. We're believing for increase. But I'm not run by money. And, I'm, and, and I know you're not either. I'm not run by resources. I run them. They're just a tool. They don't run my life. I'm happy. I, I, I'm telling you right now, God has blessed me so much. Yeah, you got to be like Paul and say, in whatever, in whatever stage in the process I find myself, I am content. Amen. My, my grandfather used to say it this way. I'm satisfied with a dissatisfied satisfaction. I'm satisfied with a dissatisfied satisfaction. What does that mean? Well, he was saying, I'm happy about where God's brought me from but I'm also happy in knowing that I'm not staying here. God has more for me in life, but I'm happy about where I am currently. But with what? A dissatisfied satisfaction. That means I'm happy, but I still have in my mind, I know more increase is coming into my life. I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm not staying where I'm at. That'd be a great way for you to put it in the comments. I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm not staying where I'm at. Very important that you understand this. I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm not staying where I'm at. Amen. And so gratefulness, thankfulness, it has to be a staple in your life. If you're going to, hey, Caleb, if you're going to complete this end time checklist and be pleasing to the Lord, I'm happy where I'm at, not staying where I'm at. Gratefulness, thankfulness. In fact, you should take time every day to thank God for his goodness. Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his blessings. Thank him for what he has done. Thank him for what he's about to do. Thankfulness is huge. And it provokes the favor of God. It provokes further blessing. Provokes further blessing. People that are thankful, praiseful. It pulls the presence of God into your life and activates God's presence. 
All right, let's go to the second set of scripture here. So I've given you the first set of scripture about the end times and three things for your checklist. We've got to be humble, we've got to be self-controlled, and we've got to be thankful or grateful. Now let's read one chapter over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We were just in 3, now let's go to 4. If you're just logging on, we just covered 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. But now we're jumping over to 2 Timothy 4, one chapter later, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to give you uh, three more things for your checklist. The Bible says, uh, Paul writes to Timothy here, I charge you. Now, I want you to hear the, the wording at the beginning of this now. It's the beginning of a new chapter. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in it and his kingdom. Now, verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, <clears throat> get this. Paul's telling this to Timothy, who is a pastor. And I want you to see uh, what, why he's saying it. But again, I want you to notice those things he told this pastor to do. I, I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus to preach the word. That's number one. Preach the word. Now, these aren't for you. I'm, I'm showing you it's going to lead to you here in a second. He tells this pastor, you better preach the word. Number two, you better be ready at all times to do it. And you better reprove, you better rebuke, and you better exhort with patience and teaching. So these are given to the spiritual leader for the church. Now, why? Look, here's the prophecy from Paul, verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That word sound in the Greek language could be uh, translated healthy. They will not endure healthy teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So here's a huge one. This one is massive. And I'm going to give you three more for your checklist here. I find it very interesting, and the Lord actually kind of uh, impressed this upon me today when I was reading this in my devotions. And he said, you know, we always focus on uh, for the time is coming, right? We always focus on the prophetic part. But he said, I want you to focus on the charge that Paul gave to Timothy because it is the answer for the prophetic part, which is why he was getting it as instructions, right? Uh, preach the word. How, I mean, could we just say there is a lack of, of, of leaders that are just purely preaching the word? I think we could safely say that there is a lack of leaders uh, that are just purely preaching the word. As someone said in the comments a few minutes ago, many churches are using the time they have with their people to promote getting the jab, you know, going down to your local whatever and get that jab. 
you know, using their time for that or for political things, political reasons. You know, go do, you know, you need to th- do this politically. You need to believe this. You need, or, or you know, then you go to the other side. You turn on Christian television. There's people selling you workout plans, selling you vitamins, selling you minerals, selling you holy water, selling you a place on their property for when the Antichrist shows up. I mean, we've got a lack of leadership. It's not that there aren't people that are doing it. There are a remnant of people doing it. But we have a lack of leadership that are purely preaching the word. Be ready at all times. Now, listen, if you really want to see something that's lacking right now, these next two words are extremely lacking in the body of Christ. Are you ready? Reprove, rebuke. (laughs) Reprove, rebuke. Hmm. Reprove, to reprimand, right? To to scold or to admonish. uh, admonish. It's it's a scolding, an even stronger version, a rebuke, a rebuke. They're kind of almost the same thing. They're almost the same thing. Reprove and rebuke. You don't see that a lot, especially in the seeker-sensitive church model because our key in the, in the seeker-sensitive church model is don't ever offend people. Make them happy. Preach something that only ever makes them feel good. We need them in the seats. We need them at church. We need them to be uh, paying their tithes. We need to pay this mortgage. I mean, like, the, the whole model of church right now is don't let people get uncomfortable. Don't let people ever get to a place where it's awkward or where they feel. And see, uh, conviction is a necessary part of the gospel. You can't cut conviction out of the church and expect to have a Holy Spirit-led church. You've got to have conviction. But Paul said that we're coming to a time where people will not endure sound, healthy teaching. They just won't. They've got itching ears. You know what that means? They want to hear what they want to hear. Come scratch my ear with the kind of, uh, you ever had that where a dog will just come right up to you and just roll right onto its back because it wants its belly scratched? Put your hand up in the comments if you've ever had that. You have a, you know, Maybe you have dogs and they, you know what they do? They come right up to your feet and they'll roll right onto their backs and put their paws in the air because they want their belly scratched. That's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. There's going to be, there's going to come a time where uh, there's going to be church people that are coming to church and just roll on their head and put their ears out and they're going to accumulate to themselves teachers that will just preach to suit the people's passions and they'll turn away from listening to the truth. They'll turn away and they'll start wandering off into myths, which people are already doing. They're already doing that already doing that. The hyper grace movement is a myth. It is a myth. It's, it's false doctrine. It's false teaching. And, uh, it's easily debunked. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown's done the best job of anybody at that with his book, hyper grace. So let me give you the three things for your checklist. Number one, if you know that this is going to be the trend then what should we be doing as those that are introspective, that want to please the Lord? Uh, The first thing we need to do, seek sound doctrine. 
healthy doctrine. And there's been people in the comments that have already been talking about this today. It's like, man, I can't, um, these churches aren't preaching sound doctrine. These, these churches aren't preaching, um, you know, uh, the word. They're not, they're, not, they're not doing it. And I agree with you. There's many churches that aren't preaching sound doctrine. But that doesn't alleviate us from the responsibility of going to church. You find a church that is preaching sound doctrine and you attend it faithfully and you support that local church. But the, the first thing we have to do as believers is seek out sound doctrine. Now, here's the wonderful thing about being a Christian in the New Testament that is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself can convict you as to whether something is wrong or right. Thank you, Leslie. She said, sound doctrine is what we eat when we come to your broadcasts. Thank you. But understand this, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not led by a man. <clears throat> you're not led by prophets, as I've taught recently. You're not led by a prophetic word. You're led by the Holy Spirit, and you're led by the written word of God. So if something's being taught, if something's being uh, preached, that is not sound or healthy doctrine, the Holy Spirit will let you know, you'll feel it. And then you'll, be, you'll begin to dig into the scripture for yourself. See, because you can dig into the scripture for yourself. And then what can you do? You'll find sound doctrine in the scripture. The nice thing about it is, it's not like we're back before the, uh, before the Reformation. We know where only the Catholic Church, only the priest had a copy of the scriptures and everybody else had to just listen to him preach it and then, you know, give commentary on it, and it was his way or the highway. <clears throat> That's why, Pete, do you, I don't know if you know this, but it was a form of control. That's why uh, others like Wycliffe, when they started putting out their Bible translations for the common man, you know, he was burned at the stake for doing what he did. Anybody that began to produce these uh, versions of the Bible for the common man, that, you know, after the Reformation, it was different. Before the Reformation, you know, they didn't want the average person having their own copy of Scripture. They said, it'll be mayhem. You know, the church will fall apart. You know, they can't have their own, they can't have their own uh, Bibles. They can't have their, read their own Scripture for themselves. They need the priest to do it for them. And let me tell you, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to have a Bible in your hand. There's nations where they're not even allowed to have them. We've got like 12 of them sitting at the house, right? But it's a blessing. We have apps on our phones and on our tablets that we can just look at any version of the Bible in our language. I mean, it's, it's a miracle. But before that, they didn't want people. It was a form of control. You listen to me preach the Bible. I tell you what it means. I tell you what to do. And that's a form of control. But now we've got the word of God in our hands. We've got the Holy Spirit. We can actually study the Bible for ourselves. We can develop sound doctrine for ourselves. I mean, know what it is. We can know what the Bible teaches on a subject. And see, when you start to hear, that's why Bible study is so important, because when you start to hear doctrine that's not sound, that's not healthy, that's false, it'll pop right up in your spirit. So that's not the word. That's not the word. That is not what the Bible says. And you'll know. And so the fourth thing uh, is seek sound doctrine. And you should be, listen, if you're at a church that's preaching doctrine that's not sound, why are you still there? 
is the question I'd like to know. Why are you still there? Find a place that preaches sound doctrine. Then here's the next thing. This is number five on your checklist. So let me go through them again real quick. Humility is number one. Self-control is number two. Thankfulness or gratefulness gratefulness is number three. Seek sound doctrine. That's number four. But number five is very important as well. Let the word correct you. And again, some of these will, will play together. They will piggyback on one another. Let the word correct you. Okay? Let the word correct you. When you're reading the Bible, let it correct you. When you're listening to my broadcast or some digital media, whether it be a CD or YouTube video, MP3, whatever, let that word correct you. But here's an even more important one. When you go to church and your pastor is preaching to you, let the word correct you. Let the word correct you. Don't ever sit around and say, well, he's pre- he must be preaching about somebody else. Take everything, even if it's a rebuke, take everything and grab hold of it, pull it in and say, like a flashlight, is there anything in me that needs to hear this and change? Is there anything in me? Let the word correct you. Let the man of God correct you. That's what they're there for. I mean, that's what they're there for. Paul just said it. Right here in 2 Timothy 4, Paul is charging Timothy, the pastor, in the presence of the Lord to do these things. Conviction is your friend. That's right, Mike. No question. Conviction is your friend. It leads you to change in the right areas. Let the word correct you. And then here's what something number six that piggybacks on it that is massive, okay? In our generation, we can't hardly get with this, but let me give it to you here on this broadcast and on this podcast if you're listening. You ready? Don't be offended. (laughs) This is so huge. This is so huge. Don't be offended. I'm gonna let that sink into your spirit. (laughs) Don't be offended offended. I can't tell you how many people, and this is, this ruins people's lives. I mean, it ruins their lives. And then, you know, what's even more sad. It ruins their children. It ruins their grandchildren. Let me give you an example. I've watched, I, now I served as an associate pastor to, uh, my uncle, pastor Terry Shuttlesworth for about eight years. And, uh, so as an associate pastor, I watched as people who were immature got offended about something minor, you know, something that they should have just been corrected about and with humility made the change in their life. But instead they got offended and they got all mad and upset and left the church. I'm leaving the church. Okay, well, you're now leaving the church. You're pulling, you and your wife, you're storming out. But here's what's sad. You're you're taking your little children with you. Or if it's an even bigger blow up, you know, you got the grandparents that are offended and they take their kids and their kids' kids. Okay, so now you're affecting your kids and now you're affecting your grandkids. You got you got bent out of shape about something you should have just been corrected and received correction. So you take your kids. Now your kids are in children's church. They don't know any better. 
But what ends up happening? Uh, you get these people that start going around. Well, you know, I, I've experienced church hurt. And I guarantee you, because I've been in this, I guarantee you that a majority of these people that say, I've experienced church hurt, you know what it really is? They've been corrected or reproved and they don't want to change, so they just get offended and leave. How dare he speak to me that way? How dare he say those things from the pulpit? Yeah, because they need it. But the problem is you're too prideful to actually receive correction and pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's what happens. So you know what I've seen happen? And I, I'm not just saying, well, this can happen. I've seen it happen. They leave the church, but instead of saying, well, you know, I'm going to find a church where I can really be planted, they just stay home and stay upset and say, well, I don't go to church because I've experienced church hurt. You need to get in church. Yeah, great idea. Because even if you did experience church hurt, right? I'm not saying that everybody that says this didn't. I'm just saying, okay, let's go to the other side now. What if it's somebody that truly did have an abusive church situation? And I know people like that too. I know people like that too. Uh, all right. So you you did have a pastor that was a total idiot that made mistakes that like it, it, that was abusive to you as a, as a spiritual leader. So now because of one man's mistake, you're going to live your life in disobedience to the Bible and not go to church when the Bible commands you to go to church. So what you're basically saying is, I'm going to let another man's mistake pull me away from God. That's what they do. I've experienced church hurt. That's why I don't go to church. Okay, good. Now you're in disobedience to God himself. At first, you were just upset about someone else that was in disobedience. Now you're in disobedience. Oh, but church hurt. Get over it and go to church. Get over it and go to church. Be a good Christian, a faithful Christian, and do what the Bible says. And so don't be offended. Let me just say this. If a pastor preaches something, and you feel the conviction of it, and you start to think, he's preaching about me. Let me just say this. <laughs> Correction, reproof, rebuke is not the same as church hurt or abuse. Reproof, rebukes, let me tell you, they're necessary, and they're commanded by the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual leadership is there for, for the perfecting of the saints, and so don't be offended. Don't allow yourself to be offended. Take it in and look, use it as a mirror and say, where can I change? How can I change? So four, five, and six, seek sound doctrine. Let the word correct you and don't be offended. Let me give you the final section before we pray today. The final section I'm gonna read to you is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, this is Jesus teaching, and I'm going to give you verses 9 through 13. Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13. Let's look at it. Jesus said, and then, now he's talking about the end times here. And then they, evil men, will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. He's talking about persecution here. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away. Just 
right there before I read anything else, put it in the comments. That will never be me in Jesus' name. That will never be me in Jesus' name. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many that believe will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Love of many will grow cold. That'll never be me in Jesus' name. That will never be me in Jesus' name. That will never be you in Jesus' name. That'll never be your family in Jesus' name. But let me deal with this now. Um, what, is, what is something that we could understand that we could get that will help us here? I'm gonna give you three more things that, before we pray based on what Jesus just said, what he just taught. The first thing is this. This would be number uh, seven. Understand that the world hates you. Understand that. Just right off the bat as a Christian, the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. Can we just finally come to an understanding the world hates me. It hates the spirit that's in me. The world, catch this now, unless somebody is saved, I don't care how nice they are as a person. Unless someone is saved, they are operating with an anti-Christ spirit. We need to understand this as Christians. Unless somebody's a Christian, they are operating with an anti-Christ spirit. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says that anyone who is not a child of God is at enmity with God. They're an enemy of God. And the spirit of God's not in them. And they're opposed to the things of the spirit. And it's foolishness unto them. And they don't understand it. And so they're opposed. It's a spirit of antichrist that runs them. So understand that the world hates you. Don't be discouraged when people don't like you because of certain things that you do in dedication to the Lord. Don't be surprised and don't get discouraged when people are like, well, I don't like you and I don't like what you do. Okay, fine. I don't need you to like me. I don't need everybody to like me. I don't need everybody to like me. And so please do this. Please understand the world hates you. And, and you know, and, and don't, you can't be soft as an end times Christian. You're not gonna be able to be soft. Get thick skin. That's right, Leslie, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Don't, don't get bent out of shape when you got people on your job, people that used to be your friends that now you serve the Lord and they don't want anything to do with you. Don't get discouraged. Understand that the world is going to hate you. That's a prophecy from Jesus regarding people that follow his commands understand that the world hates you. And I don't have any problem with that. I don't need everybody to like and love me. I don't need it. I need the right people to like and love me. <laughs> I don't need everybody to. I don't, it doesn't bother me when they speak negative. I've found my name on false prophet lists on Google. <laughs> I didn't sit home and cry and say, I don't know what my problem is. Why don't they like my ministry? I know why they don't like my ministry. I know why they don't like me. 
because they have a spirit of antichrist. I'm not expecting everybody to love me and neither should you. Neither should you. And don't be surprised when the world hates you for your stand for Christ. And let me tell you, it's getting more and more prevalent than it ever has and more uh, in your face than it ever has. What do I mean by that? Well, you've got uh, the LGBTQ community that are saying, we're coming for your children. It'll be slow. It'll be subtle, but we're going to come for your children. Uh, we've got those from other uh, other religions that are actively standing against Christianity and in some cases murdering them in overseas situations. That level of persecution hasn't necessarily come to North America yet, but it's coming. And they're murdering and cutting the heads off of Christians because they're Christians, just because they're Christians. They're jailing Christians in other nations. If they find a Bible in your possession, you're going to jail and probably your family harassed. They, they hate you. Don't be surprised. Jesus prophesied it thousands of years ago. Just understand the world hates you. If you can operate from that understanding, you'll never be discouraged when somebody with an antichrist spirit stands against you. You'll just be like, yep, par for the course. I'm a Christian and they don't. Now, don't use this as an excuse if you're just a jerk to everybody. Like, well, the reason he doesn't like me is he's got an antichrist. No, you're just mean. <laughs> Walk in love. You know, do what the Bible says. Be a be a be a loving and peaceful and joyful person. But when you're when you're serving the Lord and people are literally coming against you because of your stance uh, on on Scripture on what Jesus said, don't be upset. There's people that are going to hate you because you don't agree with same sex marriage, because the Bible doesn't agree with it, because the Bible uh, opposes homosexuality and lesbianism. And so, let me tell you. I'm not bending on that fact, and there will be people that will hate me for it. Let them hate me. doesn't mean I hate homosexuals or lesbians. I love them, but I don't agree with that. It's sin. We call it sin because it is sin, and God doesn't approve, and it will cause people to go to hell, and if I really love them, I don't want them to go to hell. So I'm telling them the truth. Um, the, the, the seventh thing, how do you ensure that you'll never grow cold and fall away? It's going to take disciplines. When I was in Bible school, we had a class called Disciplines of Christian, uh, of Christian Faith. Disciplines of Christian Faith. And uh, they taught us these things that have to be in your life. Let me give you four that need to be in your life all the time. Are you ready? You could put these in as A, B, C, and D in your timeline or in your, or in your, in your notes. You need to pray daily. You need to fast often. You need to study the word daily. And you need to be faithful to church weekly. I'm going to say those again because they're disciplines that every, and I'm going to add a fifth one as well. Number one, you need to pray daily. Number two, you need to fast often. You need to study the word daily. You need to be faithful to church weekly. And number five, you need to share your faith regularly. Share your faith regularly. That's evangelism. That's winning people to Jesus. Pray daily, study daily, fast often, faithful to church weekly, and share your faith regularly. Do that. Stay in the, if you'll do those five things right there, You'll never grow cold.
You'll never grow cold. You'll never fall away. I promise you that. I promise you that. Prayer is the thing that keeps you in a place of submission to God, keeps you on fire, keeps you in a place of hunger. Study of the word does the same. Fasting crucifies your flesh. Being faithful to church, not being offended, receiving correction and reproof keeps you in a place of uh, of holiness and, and, and a place where you're pleasing to God. And finally, if you're winning souls, if you're bringing people into the kingdom, that keeps your fire fresh, keeps your life full of joy. And it's very, very important that you do that. And let me, let me give you this, this final thing. We'll call it number nine on the list. Endurance. 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 Jesus, what did he say in Matthew 24, 13? The one who endures to the end will be saved. The one, through all this persecution, through all this hatred, through all the stuff that the culture is pushing back at you and everything else, endure to the end. He that endures to the end will be saved. It takes endurance. Write it in the comments this way. Put it in this way. Are you ready? Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint. Put it in the comments. Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint. It's not a short burst and then you're done. It's, if Jesus tarries, it's decades. It's your whole life. It's endurance. It takes long range capabilities. Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint. And so you need endurance. You need endurance. It's very important to have endurance in your life. So let me run through these nine real quickly. And then, and then we're going to pray. Number one, end time checklist. You need humility. Number two, you need self-control. Number three, thankfulness slash gratefulness. Number four, you need to seek sound doctrine. Number five, you need to let the word correct you. Number six, don't be offended. Number seven, understand the world hates you and always will. Number eight, disciplines. Pray, fast, study, go to church, share your faith. And then finally, number nine, endurance. Endurance. You're ready for the long haul. You're ready for the long run. You're not sprinting and then stopping, 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 back in again, stopping, stop. I know people like that. Have you ever seen people like that, that they, they have bursts of Christianity? Like, oh, he was hot and heavy in church for seven months. Now we haven't seen him again for two years. Then he's back again in church for another six months. And then he's gone again for a year. That's not who you are. It's not sprints and stop. It's endurance. It's a marathon. You keep going and going. You press toward the mark. Press toward the mark. That's the key. That's the key. So I want to pray for you today because I'm, I'm telling you, we're in these days. They're not coming. They're here. And I've seen far too many people lose out because they're missing the basics of understanding what you've got to do as a Christian in the final days. Got to do. And so let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every Victory Tribe member that is watching live, watching the replay, or listening on the podcast. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd strengthen them supernaturally. 
I pray by the power of the Holy Ghost that you would let these things be so prevalent in their lives. They'd never even have a hint of slowing down. They'd never have a hint of falling away. They'd never have a hint of growing cold. I pray that you'd put a supernatural strength upon everyone that's listening to me today. I pray that you'd put a supernatural faith in their heart and an expectancy to see Jesus. And Lord, let us live every day like you're coming now. And we thank you for it and we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe it, throw some fire in the comments, throw some hands up in the comments. And uh, and thank God that you're a part of the remnant of the final moments of time. If you missed any of the Instagrams that we did this week, they're all on IGTV. We've posted them on YouTube. We've posted them on Facebook. I was, I've been with Carolyn. Yesterday, we had Pastor Cody and Mindy Spencer. I talked about the importance of staying free from comparison. Uh, got a lot, a lot of content coming for you here in the future. We're in Roxborough under the tent this week till Friday. But I want to encourage you to, you have an opportunity to sow into evangelism today. You have an opportunity to sow into the front lines of evangelism of what God's doing uh, out in the open to see souls come into the kingdom. Would you take a moment today to sow a seed into frontline evangelism? We've been seeing people saved every single service. This is tent meeting number three of the year. We started in Elizabeth City. We moved on to Raleigh, North Carolina. Now we're in Roxborough, North Carolina. And you've got an opportunity to be a part of the end time harvest, which will bring a harvest into your life. And so I want you to consider right now partnering with this ministry or sowing a one-time seed into this ministry. And you can go to miracleword.com and you can sow a seed right from the website. You can always use Cash App or PayPal or Venmo, Zelle, whatever is your favorite method of sowing digitally. But I want to encourage you to take a minute and stand with us as we're reaping a harvest of souls before Jesus comes. You'll be blessed for it. I mean, that's exactly how it works. It's the family of God working together. It's the body of Christ working together. And I'm, a, I'm actually encouraging you to stand with Carolyn and with me every month in partnership. If you'll go to miracleword.com, click on that partnership page and go through and see what we're doing to touch the world. It's mind-blowing to me how far God's brought us in a short period of time. But you'll see it all there on the page. Stand with us. What can you do monthly? What can you do monthly that would uh, bless the kingdom of God? We're feeding hundreds of children every day. We're preaching on 180 nations of the world on television every week. Uh, it's just amazing. God's opened the doors. Plus live crusades and media and everything we're doing, God opened it all up. You're a part of that as the Victory Tribe. I love you. If you're listening on the podcast, you can swipe up. The details are in the description. You can click the link and uh, and sow a seed. We love you so much. Don't forget, yesterday, brand new Miracle Word Kids video and Bible study out on the website, miraclewordkids.com. Go check it out. They're doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit. It'll really, really bless your children. Um, and then, of course, we're coming up. Tomball, Texas starts on Sunday. So me and Carolyn and the whole team will be in Texas. We'd love to see you there if you can make it. Uh, it's going to be a powerful week of meetings. I love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me today. I'll see you again tomorrow uh, live. But be blessed and join us tonight live in the tent uh, on social media. Love you. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.